Thanks, Michael. Yeah, so give back night. If you didn't give, you should do that tonight. I loved watching uh, what looked like grandma and grandpa learning to use an iPhone for the first time up here. So that was fun. Um, yeah, so it's already been said. Second to last night of Salt Company of the semester, we made it almost all the way through 1 Corinthians. If you're just joining last week, this week, sometime this semester, we've been through the whole book. We're finally here, and it's been, I, I kind of counted, I think it's been like 25 weeks in 1 Corinthians. And uh, last week, I loved it when Stephen basically said, okay, you've seen a fireworks show, it's awesome. And then there's the grand finale. And he was saying, okay, we get to chapter 15, and this is really like Paul's grand finale in this letter to the Corinthians. And, and that's going to continue this week. And I also heard it said, Michael actually said it, uh, he was saying, it's kind of like chapter 15 is a wave in the ocean that's just growing and growing, and it approaches the beach, and by the end of this chapter, it just slams down onto the sand. So think of chapter 15 that way, or if neither of those are helpful to you, just know this is an incredible text, and we're going to dive into it. If you haven't, I know April just read it, um, open up to chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. It should be on the screen, but I still would love you to read it uh, as we're going through this. I think you'll find it helpful, and I hope we can walk away saying, okay, I understand this chapter. I understand what God has for us in this chapter. Um, yeah, we'll be in 1 Corinthians 15, covering verses 35 through 58. And, and last week, Stephen made it clear that the resurrection is true and that there's proof of it and that it has so many implications for us. And in this second half of chapter 15, Paul is just diving deeper into the truth of the resurrection. And you'll notice that he started out with this illustration about seeds. And he says in verse 37, And as for what you sow, you are not sowing the body that will be, but only a seed. And then he keeps talking about seeds and the difference between different types of seeds and then the difference between the flesh of animals and humans and different types of animals and things like that, and even the moon, the sun, the stars. And what he's doing with this illustration is he's addressing a cultural viewpoint that existed that was completely wrong, but was creeping into the Corinthian church when it comes to thinking about heaven and the resurrection. Some in this church at Corinth believe that whatever would happen after we die, when we move on from the state that we're in now, all physical things will stop existing completely. They will cease to exist. So our body now is just a shell that has no purpose and will have nothing to do with the resurrection. And just like us, the Corinthians have these preconceived ideas about spirituality and heaven that weren't quite right. They were not biblically founded. And so they thought our bodies have nothing at all to do with the resurrection. It just kind of like made sense in their head that that's how things would be. And if we're honest, we also probably have some false ideas when we think about the resurrection and when we think about heaven. For example, we might have some image in our minds of like, a backdrop full of white clouds and semi-transparent versions of ourselves are floating around on golden roads and we have like baby wings sprouting from our back. I don't know what that means. Wings sprouting from our backs and we're all playing harps and singing to each other. Yeah, that's also not correct. What Paul is, Paul's trying to make this very simple and I don't really know farming and agricultural stuff, so if you do, don't email me or anything, but it... <laughs> It seems that what Paul is saying is 
the bodies that we're in now are just the seed of what our bodies will be like when we're resurrected with Christ, which is a wild concept if you think about it. Because you don't have to know much about ag and farming and stuff to know this. A seed doesn't disappear when it's planted, but it stops being a seed and becomes a plant, but you can't have the plant without the seed, even though these are two different things. So it's actually a pretty good illustration. He compares all these very different things to say this. We have a natural body, but when we're resurrected with Jesus, we will have a spiritual body, and those are two different things, very different from each other. So if our spiritual body is different from our natural body now, how is it different? Is it just better? Is it stronger? Do we all finally get to be jacked? Like, can I have the beard I've always wanted? Will I be immune to sunburn? Because if that's it, I'm like, let's go. Let's do this. Like, that would be a blessing to me anyways. Uh, but it's not that. It's, it's actually much bigger than this. He says our bodies now are corrupt. They're dishonorable. They're weak. And our new bodies will not be like that. And this is obviously good news. Like, if you think about that, that's pretty nice. We won't be weak anymore. I, I was thinking, I'm not very old. I'm 24, but I was thinking about the days when I was in third, fourth grade. I'd wake up in the summer, eat some Pop-Tarts. That's a wholesome breakfast. Maybe grab a Go-Gurt, go to the pool, swim all day, ride my bike home, go to sleep, do it all again. Worst case scenario, I eat too many cosmic brownies, I upchuck and I reset. Good to go. <laughs> Now I'm only 24, I'm like, okay, if I walk a lot today, I have to wear comfortable shoes, and if Casey and I are going to hoo she's got to bring Tums, because I'm going to be in pain. <laughs> like, I feel this corruption. So if that's gone, like, that's good news, but that's still really not what he's getting at. What Paul is actually talking about here is a complete physical restoration, not just to make us a little bit stronger not to make our stomachs stronger. We're talking complete restoration back to how things are supposed to be. Jesus is making all things new. That's what this text is saying. Jesus is making all things new. And, and just like in last week's text, Paul makes a comparison between Adam and Jesus. This actually happens a lot throughout the New Testament. The man of dust and the man of heaven. The man that was given life and the one that gives life and is a spirit. This comparison is Adam and Jesus. And this is crucial that we take a step back and realize that what we're reading here is part of a much larger narrative that's unfolding in the whole Bible. And I know many of you here, you've read Genesis, you've heard the creation story, you've heard the story of the fall of man. We need to know this. We need to realize how this story is connected to us because in Genesis, we see God creating everything, including Adam and Eve, made in the image of God and lived in perfect relationship to God. And then already by Genesis 3, this image of God and this relationship to God is shattered. The serpent tempted Adam and Eve, and then sin, along with death, because those things are never separate. Sin and death were introduced into the world and humanity. Everything was broken. Those that bore the image of God are now broken image bearers. 
corrupted by sin, destined to die. Here's what you need to know what happened here. Adam and Eve, at that point in time, now identified with a different kingdom from the one they were created to be a part of. Once a part of the kingdom of God, now in a kingdom that's marked by death and corruption. Once identified in the kingdom of God, now identified as a part of this broken kingdom that had now entered the world. That's what's happening. That is the story of Adam and Eve. And that's our story as well. Unfortunately, death is a significant part of our story. We see it around us. It's in the story of all of our lives in some way. It's in the story of humanity. But you need to know, and I think we get this wrong a lot, you need to know that death was never supposed to be a part of our story. It's unnatural, and it's actually a vandalization of life and humanity. The concept of death and decay in general does not fit with the kingdom of God because God is alive and so is his kingdom. That's why death doesn't fit. So as soon as death entered into the scene in Genesis 3, we needed this rescue and restoration to happen. And that's why Paul says, we've borne the image of the man of dust and we will also bear the image of the man of heaven. We need to be restored image bearers, transferred from the kingdom of corruption into the kingdom of God. God is making all things new. And just note this, if you haven't heard anything so far, the focal point of all of this restoration is the resurrection of Christ. That's why we celebrated it on Sunday. That's why we celebrate it tonight. This isn't just like, hey, now we've escaped from hell. And that's it. It's the culmination of the restorative work of Christ. That's what this is. It's not just we've escaped from hell. It's God is making all things new. And the centerpiece of this is the resurrection of Christ. He defeated death like Seth just prayed because death directly opposes the kingdom of God and has no part in it. We are plagued by corruption and we're in need of restoration. It's that simple. And the thing is, um, deep down, we are crying out for this restoration. We all know, I'm telling you, every person in here, every person on earth, on earth knows that we need this restoration. Even the person that's an atheist in here knows that we need this. Because every class every social justice cause or organization, every healthcare plan, every political campaign, every apology, every movie, every song we hear, every conversation is filled with the knowledge that there are things wrong that need to be made right. The thing is, we all know we need restoration, but we don't all realize that it's found in the resurrection of Jesus. We all know that something is wrong, but we don't all realize that our own corruption is a part of that. So what this is about is the kingdom being restored. The kingdom is being restored, and so our bodies as Christians are also being restored. Corruption will be changed to incorruptibility. 
because we will also have living bodies that match with the kingdom of God. We will no longer have these decaying bodies that are slowly dying on us at this very moment. Look closely at verse 51 with me. He says, listen, I'm telling you what was a mystery. We will all be changed. The dead will be raised incorruptible and we will be changed. That corruptible body you're in will be clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal body will be clothed with immortality. And I feel like we don't typically think of ourselves as corrupt though, if you think about it. Like if someone said, tell me about yourself, you're not going to say corrupt. Even if you say you're a failure, you don't think of yourself like, yeah, I'm just a corrupt person. And we don't think of our sin as something that kills us. We think, I was thinking the other day, so this isn't even in here. We'll see what happens here. So my wife and I, we live in a very small apartment. And our landlord, her name's Charlene, she's great. Yeah, he lives there too. So you can't have an animal that's very large. And as one of my roommates used to say, if the dog is considered a small dog, it's not a dog, it's just a cat. And we don't like cats, so we don't want a small dog. You tracking with me? Like, we would like a pet, but we can't. So we're thinking, okay, if we have a house one day, like, are we going to get a dog, like, right after? I would love, like, a husky or something, just because that looks epic. That would be awesome. Anyways, we're thinking, okay, but having a dog, it's like, that's going to take money. We're going to have to accommodate our lives to it. We're going to have to put a lot of time into it. We can't just, like, leave and go to hoo hot or something and leave our dog without, like, making sure it has food and everything. Your life when you have a pet, I've realized, just from knowing people that have pets, like, you accommodate to the pet. It's now a part of your life. And as I, I know this is kind of weird, as I was thinking about sin, I was like, we don't view sin as the thing that's killing us. We start to view sin as a part of our lives that is just going to be there. And we accommodate to it, and it takes some of our money, and it takes our time, and it just kind of becomes a part of our life. We just think sometimes it's a hindrance, but it's just a part of my life. That's not a correct view of our sin, because our sin is killing us. We treat sin at its worst like it's just an obstacle to some better level of moral living. We tell ourselves, okay, so what I need is a better level of morality. I need to be a better person. I need to be more polite. I need to listen to more wholesome music. So Jesus has to help me with that. I need to say words that aren't as bad. Some of those things are very valuable, but we say, okay, but for now, I'm going to wait until the day when I'm raised up with Christ and that I'm the better version of myself. This doesn't make any sense. We are not just slightly worse versions of ourselves that will be made better in heaven. Without Christ, we are corrupt and dying people. If something is evident in this passage, it is that. We don't need Jesus to make us better people. We need to be made alive by Jesus. And... So the gospel books I've read a couple times in life, and I feel like I've always been missing something. I feel like I, I get to these pages where Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And I kind of think like, okay, that's like this far off concept. And he's just like, 
I don't know, he's being mystical. I'm just going to move to the next page where I understand it. But it's very important that we notice that over and over he says the kingdom is at hand. And Paul mentions the kingdom here. We need to know that the kingdom is at hand. The kingdom is here, and it's breaking into this world. Jesus is making all things new, and we are in need of that newness. Because perishing people cannot be in an imperishable kingdom. It doesn't make sense for dying people to be with the living God. That's why when you're hearing people, maybe it's your connection group leaders, your roommate, whoever it is, your parents saying, stop sinning. It's not because it's some small behavioral modification you need to make. It's because if you know Jesus, then that sin doesn't fit with who you are. That does not belong with who you are because you belong in the kingdom of life and your sin is killing you. And this actually just logically makes sense that living people do not live like dead people. That people of the kingdom of God would, identify, would not identify with the kingdom that they used to identify with. The kingdom of corruption that entered in Genesis 3. And that's why when we say, sin no more, or stop sinning, or you're free from your sin, it's just aligning what you do with who you are in Christ. That's what that means. Don't live like you are dead any longer. Look at verse 54 with me. When this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal body is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory, where death is your sting. This promise right here, that death is swallowed up in victory, is only true in our lives if we are the people of heaven, as Paul said in this passage. Notice that he said a few verses back, those of the dust are ultimately like the man of dust, and they're dying. Those of heaven are like the man of heaven. So there are two categories here. And this promise of life, of death being swallowed up in victory, this promise is for those that are of heaven. And every person in here is invited into this promise, while every person in here is either of dust or of heaven. We are invited to come to be in restored relationship with God and to be the people of heaven. That's the invitation. We're invited to be in restored relationship with God, which is possible because of Jesus' death and resurrection. And if you are a follower of Jesus, which I know many of you are, you might look at this promise and be like, okay, read. That's beautiful. Beautiful verse, poetic. It's one of those hype verses. You might see your mom or your grandma hanging on a crochet thing like death raise your victory. That's like one of those verses, or it might be an Insta bio, like that's a hype verse. And you're like, okay, read. Like that's beautiful. I am a person of heaven. I'm with Jesus but I still feel so close to sin and death. I still feel the sting of sin, and I don't really feel like I'm being restored. Where death is your victory, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, 
But remember, we have victory, and we can raise our hands, and we can shout this. We can see it on Grandma's crochet thing and get hyped for a moment. We can sing it together. But what happens when you read this and you hear, death, where is your sting? And you're like, it's right here. And I feel like death is close to me and my family, and I feel the sting of sin, and it's in the phone call I got this week. It's in the constant guilt that I feel. It's in the horrible feeling leaving your boyfriend's apartment knowing that just wasn't a good night, and that was not right. It's the thing that makes you anxious, and it's close to you. It twists your desires, and in some cases, it actually makes you want your own death. So what do we do with that? When we read these verses, and we're like, I feel the sting of death right here. Is the answer to grit our teeth and read these verses and just say, yep, yep, that's true. I don't feel that. The sting of death is gone. That's not the answer. As Christians, it's crucial to know that we are experiencing what it's like to live in what we can call an already but not yet reality. If you might forget that, write it down. I know that sounds weird. Already but not yet. That's the type of reality we're experiencing. Because the victory of Christ has already been established but is not yet fully realized. The kingdom of God is at hand already but is not yet fully realized. That's why, notice that Paul said in verse 54, that saying that is written will take place. That saying, death, where's your victory, will take place. Does anybody here like snakes? Like two people. <laughs> that guy's like, my friend loves snakes. He's raising his hand for him. I don't like snakes at all. They freak me out. I consider it pretty normal that I don't like snakes. That doesn't matter at all. The other day, I was reading about snakes, not just for fun. It was for this sermon, because that would be weird. And I'm just kind of Googling some stuff about snakes. And this story shows up, and I just was like, what is happening here? And it was the story of this dude, and he had this huge cobra, and I don't know where this was. I imagine Florida, maybe Stephen's family, because that's where all weird things seem to happen. This guy has this huge cobra, and he kills it. And I like to think with a sword or a machete or something epic like that, slices the head of the snake clear off. I don't know if he was getting ready to make some sandals or some type of snack or what he was doing, but just slices its head clear off. So you have the head of the cobra detached from the body, and 20 minutes to a half hour later, reaches down to grab the head of the snake, and it bites him on the hand. Yeah. So then I Googled more. I was like, is this a thing? This is the thing. Reaches down bites him, venom into the hand. This dead snake bit him. It's the bite of the dead snake. I bring this up because that's what Paul means when he says, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. Because the snake has been killed for centuries. That's what we just celebrated on Sunday. But it still bites and we still feel it. Jesus already killed the snake, but we still feel that bite as we wait for our resurrection. That's the already but not yet reality that we live in. 
We are longing for restoration. We are longing for the kingdom of God to fully be here and realize. For the authority of God to fully take hold and for that bite to be gone. We're corrupt and we sense this and Jesus is restoring us to incorruptibility. We are dying in our sin. But if we're with Jesus, he is resurrecting us right now. Because if we're people that belong to the alive, true kingdom of God, he restores us to be alive, true people of the kingdom. And Paul's final thought regarding the resurrection is this. Because next week, Michael's going to be going through chapter 16, but this is really his final drive when it comes to this. Therefore, be steadfast and immovable, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So this moment in the chapter is that wave crashing into the beach. I think Paul is kind of saying here, okay, all these things have commanded you to do. All these encouragements, everything you're supposed to do, all the instruction and writing you've received from me is affected and informed by true belief in this right here, the resurrection of Christ. Because as a Christian, you're a person with the Holy Spirit living within you and you are being resurrected with Christ. It's going to allow you to be unwavering and steady and consistent and what you are doing is not in vain. And this challenges our apathy because we're living with God, we're doing work with God and for God right now. In light of the resurrection of Christ and in light of the kingdom that we're in, We're living with God, doing work with God and for God. I know that's a lot to think about and has lifelong implications. And you've just listened to me talk for like 30 minutes. You would maybe disagree with this. I don't think I'm a very yelly person. Sometimes I can be expressive, but I'm not like super expressive. I'm not the guy that comes up here and is like, I'm going to yell. But if I was going to get real, <laughs> who would say that? It's time for yelling. There it was. If I was a yelly person, though, this verse would definitely be the moment where I'd come up here, I'd maybe move this to the side, chuck my Bible at somebody, and be like, okay, be steadfast, let's go! And then you guys get hyped, and I go, be immovable, let's do this! And everybody's like, yeah, somebody comes up, playing the keys, maybe the drums, if we're feeling it, it's behind me, and people are like, yeah, steadfastness, let's do this. And I say, you guys say B, and you guys say steadfast, and we're not going to do it. Nathan wishes we did. He loves that stuff. We're not doing that. And then, you know, we sing a couple songs, and like always, I'd come up here, and I'd just go, what are we going to be? And you go, steadfast, let's do this. And then you head home, or two Avengers, and then home, and then you're right on your mirror, be steadfast. And if you're really feeling it, you get a little wrist tap that says steadfast in cursive. <laughs> Dead language, not a language. It's your Insta bio, it's everything. You go to your group, you talk about steadfastness. And the next thing you know, it's the beginning of May, and you look at your mirror, and you're like, I don't even know what that word means. So don't do that. 
Do not walk out of here and think, okay, I got it. My takeaway is be steadfast, be immovable. You cannot separate this command with everything that just came before it. You cannot separate a command to be steadfast and immovable and this idea that our labor in the Lord is not in vain. You can't separate this from a true belief that Christ is resurrected and we're being resurrected with him. Only once this belief has actually set into your heart can that happen. So don't go with an empty command. You need that belief. Only if you are alive with the Spirit of God making you alive can you be immovable. Do not follow an empty command. This command has weight because of the previous verses. This already not yet reality of restoration is here. Jesus is clothing this corruptible body, these corruptible bodies that we're in with incorruptibility. Jesus is clothing us, us weak, dying, mortal people with immortality because he's invited us into his kingdom and he is transforming us into the people of that kingdom. So I'm about to pray for us and then we're gonna keep singing and uh, I wanna pray just that this belief would be set into our hearts and I also know that there are people here that are like, I don't know what to do with this whole Jesus thing. I don't know what to do with this whole church thing. I'm just gonna pray that you would realize like, okay, not only is this true, like I need Jesus. I am corrupt and need to be closed with the incorruptibility that Jesus provides. I don't care if you are the senior that just came to Salt Company because your roommate has nagged you all semester. I'm going to pray that that becomes true for you tonight. So if you'd stand with me, I'm gonna pray and then we'll sing together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for you. Thank you for what we celebrated this weekend. Help us not grow numb to the reality of your death and resurrection on the cross. Help us understand what this means for us. You deserve glory and you deserve our praise because we are in need of restoration. We cannot restore ourselves. We might be able to temporarily make ourselves better people. We can't make ourselves alive people. We need you. Thank you that your kingdom is breaking in right now. Thank you that you've invited us to be a part of it. I pray right now for the student in here that is confused, that feels like whether they've been checking out this church thing for a while or just now, they realize restoration is found in you and we're being resurrected with you. And the best thing about heaven is being with you in restored relationship with you. I pray for them that tonight would be the night that they know you for the first time and can walk with you for a lifetime. Spirit, would you just guide us in that way? Would you guide conversations tonight, prayer tonight, prayer and connection group with each other? Would you just guide our words? Let us encourage one another and challenge one another to be people that line up with your kingdom, that identify with the kingdom that we're in. And as we sing, would these words be pleasing to you like we said earlier? Thank you that we get to sing to you in community. Thank you for tonight. We pray all these things in your son's name. Amen.